We're going to begin at verse 1 as we do every Wednesday. And God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So now let's remember they're in bondage. And after they're delivered from slavery unto freedom, he gives them the precepts of how to maintain that freedom. He says, number one, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. Second, you shall not make for yourself um, a carved image and any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Uh, Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And then we find the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The sixth commandment, thou shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And now we have the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So let's go through those together. Put your Bibles down, please. First commandment, one God, right? Everybody do it together. One God, no idols. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Sabbath day, keep it holy. It's rest, right? Amen. Fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit murder. Right? Seventh commandment, no adultery. Husband, wife, no adultery. Eighth commandment, you don't steal. And the ninth commandment, we're going to do it in an interesting way. We're going to pretend like we're yapping. And you don't bear false witness. All right? Got it? Everybody good? Let's pray and seal these in. Lord, that we would memorize these, not just in our mind, but in our heart. That they would be the precept to freedom for society. And let it begin with us. And so, Lord, teach us tonight and lead us into all truth. And God, I thank you that you're merciful and gracious. That even in our weakness, your strength is made manifest. So, Lord... Touch lives tonight, regardless of the time that has been invested on my behalf. I pray that each heart would be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. So typically when you don't have any time, um, you have someone else teach for you. So five minutes of our time is going to be filled with a man who I have come to know and love. Uh, I pray for him that he'd come to know the Lord. Um, His wife at one point professed a faith in Christ she has since um, not believed that. Uh, I've had deep conversations with her, and I've had deep conversations with him. Uh, we've spent many time, many hours together, and uh, I, I pray for him. And when he comes to Christ, he's going to be unbelievable. He is unbelievable now. Um, but I can't think of anyone who would do a better job of teaching the Ninth Commandment. And so I want you to see this uh, video. Are we ready for it? Okay, this is the Ninth Commandment with my friend Dennis Prager. And he's mute. He lost his voice in a... not give false witness against your neighbor. This means two things. Do not lie when testifying in court. And do not lie, period. Remember, in order for an action to be prohibited or demanded in the Ten Commandments, it has to be fundamental to making civilization. As important as donkey riding might have been when the Ten Commandments were given, the Ten Commandments contains no commandment to ride your donkey responsibly. A society can survive bad donkey drivers, but it cannot survive contempt for truth, whether inside or outside a courtroom. If people testify falsely in a courtroom, there can be no justice. And without even the hope of justice, there can be no civilization. The Hebrew Bible was so adamant on this subject that the punishment imposed on a witness who gave false testimony 
was the same as the punishment that would have been meted out to the accused had the false testimony been believed. In the case of a crime that would be punishable by death, therefore, the false witness was liable to be put to death. But the commandment is clearly concerned with truth generally, not only in a courtroom. Both the great 12th century Jewish commentator Ibn Ezra and one of the most influential biblical scholars of the 20th century, Brevard Childs of Yale University, agreed that the commandment was about truth-telling generally. As Childs pointed out, if the Ten Commandments were solely concerned with truth and falsehood in a courtroom, it would have added words such as, in court. There are many important values in society, but truth is probably the most important. Goodness and compassion may be the most important values in the micro or personal realm, but in the macro or societal realm, truth is even more important than compassion or kindness. Virtually all the great societal evils, such as African slavery, Nazism, and communism, have been based on lies. There were slave traders, Nazis, and communists who were compassionate in their personal lives. But all of them told, and most of them believed, some great lie that enabled them to participate in a great evil. Black slavery was made possible in large measure by the lie that blacks were innately inferior to whites. The Holocaust would have been impossible without tens of millions of people believing the lie that Jews were inherently inferior to so-called Aryans. And communist totalitarianism was entirely based on lies that's why the Soviet Union's Communist Party newspaper was named Pravda, the Russian word for truth, because the party, not objective reality, was the source of truth. There is only so much evil that can be done by individual sadists and sociopaths. In order to murder millions, vast numbers of otherwise normal, even decent people must believe lies. Mass evil is committed not because a vast number of people seek to be cruel, but because they are fed lies that convince them that what is evil is actually good. However, one big obstacle to truth-telling is that believers in causes, including good causes, that don't place truth as a central value, will be very tempted to lie on behalf of their cause. There are many examples. In the 1980s, for example, to promote the cause of the homeless, the leading activist on their behalf claimed that there were two to three million homeless in the United States. Years later, he admitted on national television that he had to come up with a number and made that one up. The real number was between 250,000 and 350,000. Similarly, groups in the fight against cancer were caught greatly exaggerating the number of women who get breast cancer each year. Why? In order to frighten more women into getting mammograms, again, lying on behalf of a good cause. Why is lying on behalf of good causes destructive? Because if we don't know what's true, how and where do we know how to properly allocate society's limited resources? And in the worst cases, it distorts society's priorities and therefore does great harm. The Ten Commandments is there to warn all of us that with very few exceptions, such as the immediate saving of innocent life, no cause is more important than truth-telling. The Ten Commandments is the greatest list of instructions ever devised for creating a good society, but such a society cannot be created or maintained if it is not based on truth. I'm Dennis Prager. Join Prager University. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We don't need the commercial. We can shut it down. <laughs> At Prager University is an excellent um, insight into a number, and especially young people, just to give you some... Things that you're not getting at school, you get an opportunity to see that. Uh, as, as we're looking at this ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, I looked at a couple of verses, and one in particular, Psalm 58.3. 
The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. So we're the, the, it, Psalm 50, 51.5, David writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Even from an early age, we understand uh, 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 truth and lies. A child can exaggerate, um, you know, it, they come up with this concept and they, they watch from us as well. Things are caught, not taught. They see us not tell the truth. One of the stories um, I recall is uh, the parents that had a child in the neighborhood who uh, didn't bathe. Uh, the hair was always disheveled um, and, and spots began to appear on the skin thinking that it's infatigo or something along those lines. And, and they just said to the child, you can't play with her because she's dirty. And the child, you know, went and said, my parents said, I can't play with you because you're dirty. And, you know, all, all heck broke loose in the neighborhood and, and they brought the child forward. They, well, we didn't say dirty. You're not supposed, you know, trying to change what they had said. And, and yet a child will speak truth, but in, in other times too, you'll see that a child will, will not tell the truth. And it, it comes at an early age the sin nature is embedded in us, and we struggle from birth with truth. And if truth were told, society would flourish. If we were committed to truth and being honest people, and that's one of the hardest things in ministry, is when, and, and any pastor can testify to this, the hardest thing for us when we're sitting with um, an individual or a couple is, what's the truth? What's the truth? Um, as I would share with you earlier, I was back in Texas spending time with um, a man who's, who's very wealthy, and he had said something that really struck me, and it, and it struck me deeply. He said, Rob, how many times a day do you think I get asked for money? He's worth probably $6 billion. He said, how many times a day do you think I get asked for money? I said, a lot. And I just, I just come back from Delta Airlines where my baggage had gotten lost, and, and the guy behind the counter, I was telling him my sob story, and the guy promised me the bag would get here, and I would have taken the honey out so that the bag would have arrived on time because I would have done carry-on, but I had to check it because it had honey. I would have taken the honey out, and the guy said, no, it's going to make it, and my bag didn't make it. And the guy's just still ty- typing away, didn't hear a word I said. And I thought, well, I'm going to just try to get into this guy. So I said, I guess you've heard every story there is. He goes, yep. To be candid with you, I've heard every story there is. Because you don't seem to be moved by my story. He goes, I've heard better. You know? <laughs> I go, but I'm telling the truth. He says, I, that's, that's not my place. I imagine you are telling the truth. I can only do what I can do. Your bag's not here. I, I can work through certain things, but there's certain things I can't do. And I, I looked at this guy, and he's getting ready to retire, and he's been doing this a long time, and he's heard every story there is. And, and he, just, he just hears what he hears and does what he does. And I had applied that when I was with my friend when he said, how many times a day do you think I get asked for money? And I said, quite a few. I imagine numerous times. He said, yep. And he said, you know what I do? And I said, what's that? And he says, I have to distinguish between what they're speaking and what they're saying. Let me repeat that. What they're speaking and what they're saying. People come to me, Rob, and they have a problem. And they think that my money is the solution to their problem. But I can only deal with the symptoms of the problem. I can't deal with the problem. I can alleviate their symptoms, but they're still going to go away with a problem. And sometimes my money will exasperate their problems. The last thing they need is money. And he said, so I have to discern between what, what they're speaking and what they're saying. They have an agenda. And everyone has an agenda. And, and this is this idea of bearing false witness because we're not telling the truth. We're not speaking the truth. And folks like that, and he appreciates candidness, and typically when I call him, I call him and I say, hey, this is why I'm calling and this is what I'm, I'm asking. And I don't, I don't do that that often. I've done it twice, maybe three times. And, and, as, and this has built a relationship, this idea that you're, you're candid with someone, you're honest with them. You don't have an agenda. You're not couching it. You're not, you're not building them up. You're not, and, and, and it happens in the ministry quite often. It's called evangelastic. Uh, tonight I'm looking at the room. Let's see. We got, let, let's do truth here. We got six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven on this side, three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18, 21, 22. So that'd be 33, 36, 39. Okay. 42. Uh, so okay. So okay. About maybe 60 people tonight. Evangelistically speaking, I look at the room close to a hundred 
And if someone is saying, so what's the attendance of your church? Oh, Wednesday nights were close to 100. Well, it's over 50, and I guess if you round up, you know, of course, close to 100. But the truth of the matter is that's not the number. And the people that are more candid and more specific are the ones that you can do business with, the ones that tell the truth. And we find that in ministry because the more you build the ministry, the more people are inclined to support that ministry. And it's very prevalent in Christendom. It's prevalent in our own lives, and we learn it from an early age. And this is where it becomes quite dangerous and difficult. Um, I, was, I was looking at James chapter 3. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So speaking to ministers, what he's saying is you can turn a ship by a rudder. But the tongue is just as profound and powerful to turn a church and to turn people. How do you get somebody to to kill six and a half million Jews? And if you've ever seen him speak, Adolf Hitler, he moved, as it said, tens of millions of people to participate in one of the greatest holocausts, and over 50 million people died because of his rhetoric and his exaggeration and his misrepresentation and the lies that are associated with it. One of the ways a society controls its members is to remove any ability to debate truth and to come to a consensus of truth. And so why is it that when we have the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution and the very first amendment is the freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom to peaceably assemble for right of redress of grievances and the freedom of religion? Why would that be the very first amendment to protect truth? So here we are today in our society where we're hearing, you know, that's fake news. We've been hearing that, yeah? and the whole Russia issue, and then numerous other things, and then three CNN employees have to resign, and there's, there's inquiries, and things are happening, and we're watching you know special investigators, and on and on and on, contending with what is true, and, and that's back in Washington. We're here, and the only way that we get word of that is dependent on what we're watching or reading, and we're dependent that what we're watching and reading is honest, but in every case, there's an agenda, and there's a spin, And the more that you spin that and the more that there's an agenda, and if it's revealed, as you're seeing with O'Keefe and a number of others, as they're starting to reveal some of the intentions of these newscasters, you you start to say, well, wait a minute, this isn't exactly, and when people say, well, we don't sell body parts, and then you see conversations where body parts are being sold, and, and, and yet what's the very first thing? They muzzle. And the person that came out with that video, I think it's 19 counts, and I might have that number wrong. Um, uh, to the best of my understanding, it's over 15 counts, felony counts placed on the individual that did the videotaping. And, and then the, the ruling came down that they're only going to be tried on one count and that those, and, and they're going to have a problem um, bringing prosecution on that one count because they don't want to invoke the names of those in Planned Parenthood that are associated with the videos. They, they want to suppress truth. They want to suppress those names. They want to suppress whatever they can. But yet here you come to a place where, well, what is the truth? And the Bible says, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And it also says to pursue it and, and to honor it. And, and we're guilty in the body of Christ that we don't honor that truth because if we want it nationally or we want it statewide or we want it locally, we have to practice it individually. And so the Lord says that the tongue, it, it's, it's the only member of the body, in a sense, that has a cage. And I would just say, keep it in the cage. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. And the way that you, you, you sin is to open your mouth when you're angry. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And you tend to say things you wish you hadn't when you're angry. You always, you never... Well, that's false witness. That's not true. My wife says, you, you, you never want to go to the mall. 
that's true. Um, and she always says that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but when you use those in an argument, that's not fair. And it's not honest. And you're building your case by saying you always and you never. And what that does is it destroys relationships. It's, it's, it's exaggeration. That's bearing false witness when you exaggerate. And you exaggerate to build your case. And you'll take something and, and you'll build it to be something that it isn't. And now we have to sift through it. I had an individual when I was in San Jose who um, was, was caught in, um, uh, I have to be careful here. Um, his, his phone, it was, what do we call it, butt dial? His phone dialed his wife while he was um, speaking with another woman. And the conversation was such that you knew something was, was terribly wrong. And, and, and it, was, it was an adulterous conversation. And when he was confronted with it, he said, thank God my phone rang because it would have gotten worse. And I'm so glad that, that the phone rang. And they worked through this. Well, after they had done what they did, I, I pulled them aside. And I said... You know, Alan Redpath said that the circle of sin is a circle of repentance. So if it's a secret sin between you and God, it's a secret repentance between you and God. But if it extends to another individual and it's a private sin, it's a private repentance between you and that individual. But if it expands into a public sin, it's a public confession, a public, you know, repentance. And I said, and God usually allows it to be secret so that you have time to repent. And if you don't, he'll make it private. And if you still don't, he'll make it public. And the Bible says your sins will find you out. And we talk about the sin of Achan. And what ultimately happens in the sin of Achan is you're confessing to something that has already been proven that you've been lying. Achan is the one that said, I didn't steal the, the, the golden articles and they brought out the entire nation of Israel, and then they broke it into tribes, and they broke it into families, and they broke it into individual families, and then they went down to single people, and then they went and then finally pointed to him, and he goes, you know, doggone it, come to think of it, I did take it. And it's hidden under, and they killed him. He didn't confess, he got caught. And it took all of the effort. Do you know how much effort is involved in mustering an entire nation? so that one person can conceal a lie. You see, lies take time and energy and resources. And as, as we're trying to pursue the truth, everyone else has to be affected while we're waiting in the hot sun for you to tell the truth. And, and you're so selfish in trying to defend a lie that you're willing to allow everyone else to have to endure, including your family. And the sin of Achan wasn't a sin of, it wasn't repentance, it was being caught. And, and the idea is, repent of it, acknowledge it, confess it, be truthful. And, and so when this individual came into my office and we sat down, he goes, I'm so relieved that we've gotten this. And I, I said, you know, I was praying last night. And I really feel compelled to, from the Lord the Bible says you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. And it also says in 1 John, confess your sins one to another. And it says, walk in the light as he is in the light, confessing your sins one to another. And it's not unto salvation, but unto restoration. And, and, I, and I said, you know, I was, um, I was a young seminary student. I'm telling him this story. I said, I was a young seminary student. And um, I was sitting in the quad with a bunch of other seminary students. There were seven of us. And we were talking about a number of things. And I I had opened up to them, and I, I figured I'd kind of break the ice. I said, you know, I used to struggle with pornography, but God gave me deliverance, and I, I'm just, I just want to rejoice in that. And at that point, it was, it was a sin of Ananias and Sapphira. It was hypocrisy. I, I was professing something that wasn't true to, to gain notoriety and acknowledgement of my peers. And it was a bold-faced lie. And I said it in front of these other seven seminary students. 
And then we went away to a cross-cultural immersion. It was two weeks in Los Angeles, and we were visiting the AME Church and a number of others, and we had the privilege to sit down with Rick Warren of Saddleback Church, and it was just a small group of seminary students, and he did a lesson out of 1 John. And he said, walk in the light as he is in the light, confessing your sins one to another. He said, fungus only grows in darkness. He says, the greatest gift that a pastor can possess is honesty. And, and God blesses that. And he said, yeah, God hears you when you repent and you confess your sin to him. But does anyone else really know who you are? Because you're going to live knowing who you are and you've never had the chance to tell anyone else so they can pray for you and hold you accountable. And, then, and, and somebody to, to get that off your chest. Oftentimes people love to come and, you know, especially when they're dying, they, they call for you because they want to get some things off their chest. And you live with it. It brings depression. And you look yourself in the mirror and you know who you really are, but no one else does. And he said this one phrase that, that just was noodled into my head and it was a worm that wouldn't stop. And he said, does anyone know who you really are? And that hit me like a ton of bricks. I went back that night and I was in the dormitories and I was just struggling over it. And I had four other roommates in the same dormitory. And those four other roommates happened to be in the group of the seven originally when I had shared what I had shared. And I, I, uh, they began to sing worship music and close the night. And I, I just didn't have any desire to sing. And I said, fellas, I, I'm going to ask you to pray for me and I'm going to bear my heart to you. I'm going to leave here tonight Actually, I said I was going to leave in the morning. I'm going to leave in the morning. I'm going to drive back to Fresno from Los Angeles. I'm going to find my best friend, my wife, and I'm going to tell her the truth. And I'm scared to death. And I imagine she, you know, I, 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 would, I would leave me if I were her. And I said, would you pray for me? Because she deserves to know the truth and who she's living with. I, I told you guys, and, and the reason why I want to circle you is because I lied to you. And I'll find the other guys and tell them too, but... I got to tell you, I, I said that I had victory. I don't. I'm neck deep in it, and I'm a mess. And they're all looking at me like, you know, it was uncomfortable. There was tension in the room. One kid, kid goes, well, me too. And I go, me too what? He goes, well, I, all the other seven had all confessed to the same thing. Oh, yeah, and I've got victory too. We all struggle with it. He goes, I'm, I'm still neck deep in it. At which point, every person in the room said the same thing. Now, to go into ministry, I'd come out of A.C. Nielsen. Nielsen did projected data, and I worked for them, where you do a sampling and you project it on the entirety of the population. You have an accuracy of within five percentage points if your sample portion is accurate. And uh, I, I did the sampling. I thought, every seminary student is in, is in my shoes. This is an epidemic. And, and the, the six of us and the other two included, so it made eight, we, we were used of the Lord to really bring that forward. And we stood with that. And I remember going back and telling Michelle, and I'll never forget what she said. She said, as God has forgiven you, so do I. And, and, and you know, it wasn't the last time that I, I, I was dishonest with her. Um, another point where, uh, and you guys have heard this story, where I'd been using medication and I'd been getting scripts, and I, I was hiding it up in the shelf. And I came to her, and I just said, honey, I, and it had been months, and the Lord had finally gotten a hold of me, and, and I'd repented. And I said, honey, I just have to tell you something. I, she goes, I already know. I go, what? She goes, it's up on the shelf under your blue jeans. I'm like, how long have you known? She said, three or four months. I said, you've known for three or four months? She said, yes. I said, why didn't you say anything? She says, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I knew you had to come to the end of yourself in relation to this, and I'm glad you're there. Now, two things happened. One is I had a greater love for her and appreciation of her patience. I was moved by her compassion, and I never wanted to hurt her like that. And this idea of bearing false witness is you're peering before others. And she even and, and so one of the things that I did, and this, this idea of bearing false witness, one of the things I did is I told her, I said, let me tell you what I'm like when I'm on it so you always know. 
Because there are some folks that are married to folks or, or have loved ones, and, and you have this check in your spirit that you think something's not right, but you don't, you, you just can't get an honest answer out of them. Well, I got news for you. You're probably right. And so what I said is, just to remove all doubt and to bring it into the light, this is what I'm like when I'm on it. This is where I get it. And this is my actions. This is what happens with my my personality. This is, And I went through the whole thing, and I tried to bring everything I could out into the light so she had the resources to be able to say, are you, and, and this is what she would do. Are you, are we, you doing okay? And, and a few times I'd say, oh, no, everything's fine. <laughs> Five minutes later, I come back. I'm sorry. She goes, why, why? Let's just get this out. In my family, truth wasn't honored. In her family, it was always honored. And this has been a, this has been a, 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 a ride for me to come to a place where her character has been manifested in my life because of her grace and her mercy. And this idea of bearing false witness is if, if we want a nation that doesn't have fake news, if we want our children to be ta- taught truth, then we as individuals before the Lord have to know that this commandment is one of the most vital commandments in the development of society. We must tell the truth. Your mouth is dangerous and it's been given a cage. He goes on in James 3 to say, see how great a forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. And then he says, out of the same, um, I lost my place. Out of the same, something happens, and I don't know what that is. Oh, mouth proceed, blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Could you imagine if we as people valued the truth? And a lot of us tonight are going, well, I do value the truth, Pastor. Well, I'm not going to question you, but I am going to challenge you. Do we really value the truth? You know, it was J. Verda McGee said, a woman can keep a secret, but it just takes more of them to keep it. You know, there's, there's the, similar to what I expressed to you from the true story, there's a joke of the pastors that were in a room together and they're just bearing their heart. And the first pastor says, you know, I just, I want to be candid with you guys. I, I got, a, I got a, a, a bottle of liquor and, you know, after an end of a hard day, I, I get a little drunk and I just want you guys to pray for me. I know it's a sin and I'd ask that you just, you know, pray for me. And the other one says, well, I, I, I struggle with pornography and, and I'd, I'd ask you to, to pray for me as well. You know, I, I, I struggle with it. I've got magazines. I've got to get rid of those things. And the third pastor says, well, I struggle with gossip and I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing, but you know why people don't tell you the truth? Because they can't trust you. I, I, I'm, I witness this. I, I, I'm hesitant as a pastor to share a prayer request because I hear it from someone else in a light that had nothing to do with the request itself. I'm not saying it's happened here, but I have experienced that. I, I in in politics, I mean, just pick up the paper. They'll, trust me, this next Thursday in the Acorn, I'm going to get railed because of last night's meeting. It was a three to two vote on whether or not to allow testing for marijuana, a testing facility for marijuana in our city. And I voted in opposition to it. And I was in the minority. And I, and 
we voted to allow one dispensary in an undisclosed location away from schools. And this is, this is state law. We have to figure out how we're going to do it. And you're allowed six plants by state law to grow in your backyard. And, and we looked at a dispensary. We're opposed to delivery. Um, and, and I was opposed to a testing facility. But they were talking about tax dollars. And I said, I, I can't have that on my conscience, a testing facility that would allow recreational marijuana. Well, it's already available. And, and, and you know, one council member said, you know, I personally am opposed to it. But I, I think testing would be necessary. I said, but they participate in the testing of recreational marijuana. And, and, you know, I didn't say this to the council member, and I imagine if I share this tonight, it's going to get out, and I hope it doesn't. But my thought is, that's like saying, I'm, I'm opposed to abortion, but I believe in a woman's right to choose. I, I'm opposed to slavery, but I believe in states' rights. And, and I, I can't do that. And it's not a popular position. I'm already, there's already a recall being professed in, in, in Twitter sphere. And, and only 46% of the citizens of our community voted in opposition to make marijuana legal. 54% of our citizens voted to make it legal. So I'm already on, on the losing side. And you, you, I'm, I, can't, I can't imagine what the paper's going to say. And, and I, I don't like being misrepresented. And you contend for truth, and I, I, I try to, you, you try to watch what you say. I was in a council meeting where I said, um, uh, one council member said that the state gas tax is gonna has been a a, a a benefit to us, or I don't know the exact word to use, but it was a positive term in relation to the twelve cent gas tax increase that they're putting for the state, and and how it's going to offset our deficit for our road improvements. And I said, um, I'm in full disagreement of that. Because if you calculate the 50,000 drivers, conservatively speaking, in our community that are going to be taxed by the state anywhere from $250 to $300 per driver, that works out to an enormous amount of money of which the state takes and they're going to give back to us a pittance of $10 million. They're going to take out of our state $40 million, give us back 10 using just big numbers. I said, that's not a benefit. I said, in contrast, if we were to do a half-cent sales tax, all of that money would remain in our community. And I asked the city manager, what would a sales tax generate, half-cent sales tax generate? I think he said something like $14 million. I said, all $14 million would come back into our city. And my point was, the higher up it goes, the less it comes down. If we're going to tax our citizens, then we better, better give them what they're being taxed for. Well, then it came out in the paper that I'm in favor of a half-cent sales tax. And I said, that's what you got from that meeting? When I, when I stood in opposition to Measure AA and I was on the committee against Measure AA, the half-cent sales tax increase, and, and I'm, I've been asked to be on the board for the Citizens Tax com- Committee, you're telling me that that's what you got out of it? And I don't like misrepresentation. But in all fairness, if you're not clear in the way you speak, people will misuse your words for their benefit. And, and that, that creates a breakdown in relationship. And the way that that relationship had to be restored is I took the editor of the newspaper, we went and we had lunch together. I said, let's talk this out. Because we're, we're living in the same community. And we have to come to an understanding of, of each other. And I, I pray that we've made some inroads. But in the same regard, I don't have the right to misrepresent that person, nor do I believe, and nor do they have the right to misrepresent me, nor do we have the right to misrepresent each other. And this is dangerous, and this is why God points out so clearly that we can't do this. Proverbs 6 says in verse 16, these six things the Lord hates. Let me repeat that. These six things the Lord doesn't dislike, the Lord hates. Now, hate is a pretty big word. The Lord hates these things. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, and the very second thing, a lying tongue. And then below that, hands that shed innocent blood. You have to lie before you have the ability to shed innocent blood. It's not a baby, it's a blob of tissue. 
It's not a human being. It's an African-American. Not even that, it's a, it's a black. It's an African. Don't even subscribe citizenship. Jews are, are, are less than human. And by that statement, if somebody were to record that and it goes on the radio, somebody can take that clip and misrepresent me, which they've done. When I ran for the state assembly, they went through all of my sermons and they pulled out key things that they wanted to build their case around all out of context. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. God loves it when we're honest. Did you know that when you're honest with God, he's merciful with you? When you're honest with him, he's merciful with you. When you're dishonest, he'll allow your sin to become public. I remember one time working with a couple and trying to get to the truth. And, and the one, one person I just kept putting into a corner with facts. And they would respond and I'd bring a fact and that would shut that down. And then they would jump over here and I'd come back with a fact. And they'd come over here and I'd come with a fact. And I'd done my homework. And now that it was the sin of, of Achan. They, they, there was nowhere to go. And I'll never forget what they said. You're right. At this point in my life, I don't even know how to discern between truth and a lie. Their life had become so morphed and so callous and their hearts so hardened that they didn't even know the truth. I remember sitting across from a pastor who'd been caught in adultery, had lost his, his fellowship. I reached out to minister to him. And as I sat with him having coffee, wanting to just love on him, he just lying to me. And lying so well that I, I, was, I was moved. And, and, and the reality is, I honestly believe that he believed what he was saying was true. That's, that's how warped the human heart becomes. And God hates that. And it's an abomination to him. And, and you're, furthermore, you're taking God's name in vain and that you're, you're doing evil in God's name by being deceptive and lying. That's a violation of, of that commandment, the third commandment. And, 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 as you, and as you look at this, you think, how do we resolve that? Why would anyone trust the church? Why would anyone trust a believer if we're not honest? They're an abomination to the Lord, but God says those who deal truthfully are his delight. You want to delight yourself in the Lord and you want him to delight in you? Tell the truth. Let me repeat that. If you want to delight yourself in the Lord, you want him to be delighted in you, tell the truth. Now, when someone hurts you, you want to build a case against them and you exaggerate and, and you become caustic. Um, you know, the old Cherokee proverb or why, uh, rule of wisdom is that a mother-in-law was not allowed to speak to her son-in-law for the first year of marriage. And the reason why, and, and my wife will testify to this, is in our first year of marriage, uh, Michelle and I were having struggles. And I, I had no idea how to be kind and thoughtful and listen. And I, I mean, I, I was always, it was just about me. And I'm having to live with someone else who doesn't make any sense and is not logical. And, and after a while, I just got tired of trying to explain what was so simple to understand. And, and you just can't seem to get this through your head. And she just stopped talking. And she didn't want to talk anymore. And, and in my family, we, we're loud. If you've ever been around my brother, the only way you're able to speak is at very high levels if you're going to be heard because he's very loud. And the room just escalates. It's like Friday morning for the men's study when we go to Side Street Cafe. We get in that back room and, and one person is, and I know who it is, is loud. And everyone has to go above him to be heard. And it is just a cacophony of noise. And it hurts my ears to the point where I almost don't want to sit in the room, but I love being with these guys, but I can't hear anything. My hearing's going bad. 
And, and we would be animated and I would raise my voice. I'm not angry. Why would you think I'm angry? Because you're yelling. I'm not yelling. I'm, I'm excited. Well, what I didn't realize is in her family, her biological father was abusive and would, would, would beat her mother and, and they would fear for their lives. Every time she heard someone yelling, she would cower. She just stopped talking. Just stopped talking. And it's a lonely place to be. She's separated from her family and, and she's away from them. And she's trying to understand this man and our engagement wasn't that long. And we did premarital counseling, but they didn't talk about yelling. And, and we were struggling. And, and she would call her mom and, and she would tell her mom, he did, and he's, you know, because it's her friend. And Dee is to this day her best friend. Michelle loves being with her. And she's telling Dee all about it and everything. And then, you know, and then finally Michelle and I reconciled and we met with a pastor and we worked through it. And it was awesome. And, and God has just molded us together. And she's precious. I just love this woman. But I would find that my mother in law still hated me. And, and the reason why is because she had spent the lion's share of her life covering and caring, and my father-in-law as well, protecting their daughter. And, and though I had been united with her in marriage and, and the two shall become one flesh, they're letting go of their daughter and they're thinking, you know, like Tom, the very first time I met him, I asked for Michelle's hand in marriage. So he's like suspect of me anyways, and, and they neither of them were Christians. And they're like, I'm not sure who this guy is. And, the, you know, and so they're still angry at me. And, and here's, here's the secret. Be careful of the counsel you receive from those who love you the most when God is taking you through a very deep trial because the ones that love you are going to give you counsel to protect you. And God, you know, wasn't interested in Tom and Dee protecting Michelle. They were interested in Tom. He was interested in Tom and Dee letting Michelle grow to understand Rob. But their job was... Anything Michelle said, that stupid jerk, I can't. And they would build their case. And anything that, that, that would be added or something I do would be multiplied by 10. And it took years to get past that. And Michelle understood that through great wisdom on our behalf. And, and I would just say this. For those of you who have given one of your children in marriage, Stop building a case. Let them work it out. Give them some room. If there's no violence and there's no verbal abuse, let them work it out. And they're 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 going to exaggerate. They're because they want they, mommy, daddy. You know they want to go right back to that, and they know they've got allies. And that is false witness. Exaggeration is false witness, and it's dangerous to a marriage. And that's why marriages break apart. People meddle. And the Bible says, what God has brought together, let no man separate. Be careful of the role. You're no longer, you're going to always be parents, but you're not a meddler. No one gave you the role of meddler. Amen? I imagine that hurt some folks. I didn't intend to, but. Uh, Leviticus 19.16 you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord, a talebearer. A talebearer. Interesting one. Um, it's like innuendo. Oh, have you heard about Frank? No. Hmm. You don't even have to speak to do innuendo. Do you know Susie? Hmm? You're you're destroying someone's character. It's false witness. Be honest. Say, I I struggle with them, and here's the reason why, and I haven't fully understood, and, and there's some things we haven't worked out. And the Bible says, if you have an issue with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to them. And then I got news for you. Someone comes to you and says, have you heard about so-and-so? I say, oh, time out. And th- this, is, 
This is required in the church, by the way. You have full authority to do this. Someone says, have you heard about so-and-so? Or so-and-so did this to me. You go, you know what? I know them. And that I, they're a member of our congregation. They're my brother and my sister in the Lord. Let's reconcile this because God wants us to walk in truth. And they need to know this. So come on, let's go together and we'll confront them. Oh, well, I don't, you know, I, I, well, then stop it. Don't speak another word of it in my presence or anyone else in the church. Do you know what that would do to a church? Truth would be honored. Innuendo would be gone. Cheating. I mean, we get that all the time, don't we? You see products advertised on television and they're not what they advertise them to be. I remember I saved all these box tops, sent it in for this super cool thing and it comes and I'm like, what? (laughs) And I just felt so gypped. At an early age, I realized that's bearing false witness. I got cheated. And, And promising something that you don't deliver, that's bearing false witness. You don't do that. Plagiarism. Um, J. Vernon McGee used to say, plagiarism is when you steal ideas from a person, but when you steal from many, it's called research. <laughs> the old adage is the, the, the first time you use something, you say that, you know, if you use something I say, you say, Rob McCoy said. And the second time you use it, I've heard it said. And then the third time you use it, I've always believed. But it's still stealing. It's bearing false witness that it somehow is yours when it isn't. Hypocrisy. You want people to know how special you are, and so you present yourself in a light that is... I mean, we can test it. Let's go talk to your neighbors and your friends and see if what you're portraying is really who you are. Don't plagiarize. Hypocrisy is bearing false witness. Um, Slander. That's where you lend your tongue to Satan and you destroy the character of another human being. Slander can be done through gossip. Uh, what is it? Gossip is, is uh, what you'd say behind someone's back that you wouldn't say to their face. And what's the other one? Flattery, flattery is what you'd say to their face that you wouldn't say behind their back. You're, you're bearing false witness either way. Even in our culture, we, we promote bearing false witness. You know, I love the Chinese culture. Uh, there was a lady that ran a burrito shop across the street from the church in San Jose. And she was, she was from China. And I'd walk in, she goes, you're, you're getting fat. <laughs> and I go back across the street to the church. She goes, you look great. And I knew that she was right. I didn't like the way she said it. And the Bible says, speak the truth in love. There was no love, but there was a lot of truth. (laughs) Over here, there was a lot of love, but no truth. There's a balance. I'd love you if you were twice that size, but I don't know if it's healthy for you. That's a nice way of saying it. Yeah, maybe. You know, does this shirt make me look fat? No, your neck does. You know, it's like, (laughs) I don't... Well, we're limited on time. I'm going to share with you one more story, and then we'll, I think we've, we've got the idea of the ninth commandment. And it's, it's one of the most profound stories I think I've ever heard, and Don McClure shared it with me. He brought the staff in, and Don now is the head of Calvary Chapel Association. He brought the staff in, and I was on staff with him. I was an assistant pastor, and he brings the staff, and he said, um, have any of you guys uh, heard rumor that uh, my wife, Jean, has committed adultery? And we all said, no, no, Pastor Don, never. I mean, that actually one person said, we, we would believe it if maybe it was about you, but not Gene, you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know if anyone had the guts. He was frightening. But um, he said, and so none of you have heard that. And we said, no, no, sir, we haven't. He said, okay. And I wasn't going to let that die. And everyone's looking around and I'm like the Peter in the group. You know, I'm, I'm going to say what everyone's thinking, you know, because I'm the idiot. <laughs> and I said, why did you bring this up? What's the issue, Pastor Don? He said, well, 
my friend um, Jeff Johnson called me, and uh, he said, "Don, I I I had heard that that Gene had committed adultery, and I haven't made a single phone call, but to you, and I I want to know if if it's true, and how can I help you and Gene?" He said, "What?" And Don actually repeated, and I think that's where I remember Don said. I mean, Jeff, if you would called about me, maybe, but not Gene. And we all kind of uncomfortably giggled. <laughs> and, and, he, and Don said, Jeff, where'd you hear that? And he said, well, I heard it from this guy. Don said, do you have his number? He said, yeah, Don, I do. So Don called that guy. He said, I uh, understand you told Jeff Gene committed adultery. He goes, yeah, I, I did. I I, I called Jeff because I figured he was the closest to you and he could have called you. And I, I didn't know if I, he goes, so you didn't call me, you called Jeff. Goes, well, I didn't want to bother you. And he goes, really? You wouldn't want to bother me over something like this? He goes, Don, I'm sorry. He goes, well, who'd you hear from? He went all the way back to a Midwest state with a pastor who had said this to his staff. And he called him and he said, Don, I, I just, I love you and I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to call you, and I was, he goes, you don't love me. Jeff Johnson loves me. Jeff Johnson called me. You told everybody. Don't, don't lie to me again that you love me. You're, you're, you're adding even more to the false witness. You're a liar, and you're lying again. If you loved me, you would have confronted me. Folks, if society's going to survive if our families are going to survive, we have to be honest. Amen? Any questions tonight? Because six minutes left. I have nothing else. I'm tapped. I mean, really, I'm thoroughly tapped. So, And thank God for Dennis Prager. Any questions tonight or additions to the lesson? Nothing? Yes. So the, the comment was based on the Sermon on the Mount, and I was hesitant to reflect on that. I, I, I avoided it for the simple reason I didn't want to revisit it. But since you brought it up, that's the Lord speaking. So Jesus said, you've heard that it said thou, that thou shalt not commit murder. And he quotes the sixth commandment. But I say to you, if you say to your brother, you fool or raka, you're in danger of the fires of hell. And uh, you don't need words to... I mean, you don't need a gun to kill somebody. Your words will work just fine. And I've shared the story countless times about coming, moving from the East Coast to the West Coast. I came into second grade class, Mrs. Noss, and I was wearing East Coast clothes, and all the Southern California kids were laughing at me. And our family dealt with pain through humor, and I knew I could diffuse it by being funny. And um, my humor was developed. And I got everybody in the class laughing because I found uh, a kid in the class who had bright red hair, Coke bottle thick glasses, food stains on his shirt, and I made fun of him. And everybody started laughing at him and laughing at him. And that carried on through the third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. His name was John. And um, by about the sixth grade, we turned to middle school and he was sitting at a table with two or three other kids that were ostracized. And, and then I went into high school and became captain of the water polo team, swim team, got a scholarship and he was in my rear view mirror never to. And I, I remember walking by him in class uh, in the hallway and I'd flinch like I was going to hit him and he would cower and I, everybody would laugh and, and just we picked on him. And when I became a Christian later, I was, I just said, Lord, you know, that, that says that if you have an issue with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. And I said, Lord, is there anyone I need? And he brought to my remembrance, John. And I went back Fourth of July, I just got our 35th class reunion to be invited back, and it was similar. I'd gone back for a reunion, and I was asking all my classmates, hey, where's John? Where's John? You haven't heard? And I said, no. And he said, he's committed suicide. And, you know, I live with that. I didn't need a gun to kill him. And you can stand in judgment of me, and, and I don't like to revisit it. I hate it. I hate every time I have to do it. But the reality is, I misrepresented him. I slandered him. 
I bore false witness and I didn't need a gun to kill him. And some of you are the ones in the room and I've experienced this countless times where you'll come up to me and you'll tell me I was that kid that got picked on. I, I'm sorry. And, and the only reason why I revisit and tell the story is so that it doesn't happen anymore. Not so that you can be angry at me. God's forgiven me. I, I, I'll, I pray I see John in heaven. Yeah, words are terrible when they're untruthful. Babies die, nations are slaughtered, human beings are enslaved, and all has to be done with a lie. So, there was one more over here. Yeah? Yeah, it's somewhat off topic, Pastor Robert. When you sit down with, say, the editor of the newspaper, do you pray for that news? Every time. Not with, not with them. No. No. The, A servant speaks when he's spoken to, offers his opinion when he's asked. And, um, you know, I, my feeling is in time, the Lord's going to reach his heart. I'm not going to, it's like, I'm not going to demand prayer from the dais, but there will be prayer in the dais. I'm praying every time I'm in a city council meeting. But, but to demand that, that's, it's a pluralistic society. And, and when the culture transforms and they're ready for that, then I will be vocal about it. But in the meantime, why why make that the lightning rod when so much more can be accomplished? And I don't want to put them on the defensive because I'm forcing them into my world. I'm I people don't care how much they, they don't so much want to know about you, they want you to know about them. I'm there to listen. And so I want to serve him. And and those opportunities come up. And there's been times where I've had that privilege to do that with people. But, you know, that's, we rise and fall before one master, and that's the position I've taken, right or wrong. It seems to have served me well, and I'm not saying that if that's your compelling heart, then do it. Uh, I went to a meeting, I got a minute left, I went to a meeting uh, with David Lane, and uh, we were presenting to the Lincoln Club in Orange County about American Renewal Projects. And I knew that there were some very moderate Republicans in there, uh, some in particular who had been instrumental in coming against me in the assembly race. And I, I know the lay of the land because I've gotten an education. And David doesn't have an education in California politics. I do. And uh, David leads, and he was going to turn it over to me. And David leads by saying, uh, I was the wildest man ever lived. Um, wine, women, and song, living in the bottom of the barrel and liking it. And he said, and then God saved me. And he goes through his whole testimony and he talks about his wife and he says, he reads Proverbs and the crown of a man is his wife. And he said, and I have my beautiful wife. And he goes on to talk about how they removed uh, judges in Iowa that were uh, opposed to homosexual marriage. And I'm watching the moderates in the room just go and just room is like done. And then he goes, and I want to introduce my pastor. And I get up now I'm the pastor. I should have been doing all that, but I get up and I know the, the room. The Bible says, be all things to all men that you might win some. I'm not compromising my beliefs. I'm speaking them in such a way that I understand the currency of the room. And I, I, they, you know, they're thrilled. There's loud applause. And then we finish and we have to go into the details of it. And immediately the lightning rod goes back to, well, we remove this from the platform, this, and the whole, we just, we had a half hour and we lost it all. And as we're driving back, you know, uh, David says that I blow it by doing, I go, you know what, David, um, Every time I've ever been with you, you've led with your faith. And if, and if we don't get this, God knew what you were going to do when you did it. I wouldn't have done it, but you did it. And you honored the Lord, and you rise and fall before one master. It's not the way God's designed me. It's the way he's designed you. Let's just let it go. God will work it out. And he may or he may not, and we may get there that opportunity. But what I did say to him is I said, next time, put them on the defensive before you give your testimony. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, lead by saying you, you want to make the party moderate. And so you've, you've put for jungle primaries and you're supporting moderates. So we've lost the, the, the opposing party now has a supermajority in the Senate and in the assembly, and we've lost seats and everything is dominated by one party in California. So your system has been in operation for the last 15 years and we've lost everything. Now, we know that you don't want anything to do with the faith community because we come with the social issues. But we're here to tell you we have a program that works. Yours isn't. And then lead with your faith. Speak their currency. Well, yeah, okay. 
But that, you know, you, you only learn, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and that's just where the Lord has me right now. Amen? Let me close with prayer. Lord, thank you for this evening and your mercy to put together through the ninth commandment an understanding of how vital the truth is in our lives and in our culture. And God, I just want to say thank you for giving me clarity of thought and putting it all together because, Lord, it wasn't by my due diligence, but it was certainly by your grace and your mercy. And what a good God you are. What a wonderful Father. Lord, bless your people. Thank you for them coming out tonight in the middle of what has been probably a very difficult week for many. I pray refreshment upon them. Hold the sun still that there be plenty of time tomorrow to accomplish everything and they had awakened refreshed having invested such precious time in your presence, meaning in your word. And so Lord, thank you in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you guys.